0: good oh man i don't have my computer or anything hey hey (laughs) welcome to the blockument crypto education through everyday conversations
1: (laughs) we're winging it today we're
0: winging it today we have some new digs we're checking out if you see the background and all that good stuff we're laid out different so i don't even know where to look
1: honestly there y'all
0: are And there you are.
1: Here I am. And
0: here I am. I'm Nate Tobit, the executive director of Detroit Blockchain Center. And now across from me yeah. is...
1: I am Ashley Rose. I am an everyday mother. I am an online reseller. And I'm on a journey to figure out what is all of this crypto, blockchain stuff.
0: What is it? I hear it's a big old bubble in Ponzi.
1: Yeah, you know, that's some of the things you hear out there.
0: Yeah, you can't believe what they say. Nothing you hear and half of what you see, except now we were just talking about AI. You can't believe anything you see or hear.
1: I just can't believe everything. Or read. Anything.
0: Just don't believe it all. Don't trust verify, but how do you verify just, now?
1: Yeah, just, you know, I don't know. Hope and pray, I guess.
0: Hope and pray. Well, that's, that's one option. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, where are we at? What block height are we recording at?
1: Yes, we are at block 800,952 and the block size is 1.8 megabytes and that is comprised of 1,297 transactions. Um, the subsidies and fees for that are 6.329 Bitcoin, which is hmm. equal to 185,889 US dollars, and the winners of that uh, of that are via BTC,
0: which via BTC
1: that one that we see kind of a lot.
0: Kind of see them a lot. We're so centralized.
1: Yes. But it's it's probably, a, is it a mining pool though, right? Yeah. So we're like centralized, decentralized. Or decentralized, centralized.
0: Yeah, I would say we're decentralized, decentralized.
1: But also centralized.
0: No, there's just... <laughs> if they uh, keep winning. They do keep winning, but who is they? They. They are all the independent miners who are part of the pool. Who, at the very next block, can repoint to a whole different pool. And they are the ones who get it. So it's really just a bunch. If you're an independent miner, you can go it alone, right? Um, But the odds of you winning a block are very slim to none. It's like playing the lottery. Even though I root for you, all of my independent miners, my solo miners, you got only one or two rigs out there, and you don't point at a pool, man, I hope you win the next thousand blocks. Yeah. But you're probably not going to. So, then we have a pool. So, if you only have a miner, one or two miners, um, better off pointing them at a pool, share the hash rate, and win your odds of winning a little bit each time. Um, this is probably beyond whatever your question is, but no, for today. No,
1: this actually is really right aligned with it.
0: Oh, what's your question?
1: Um, why do blockchains have fees?
0: Why do blockchains have fees? Yes. To pay the miners.
1: Well, hold on one second. I had a thought that I wanted to write down. because, So so to pay that's, the miners. It's not all
0: the way true. So that's the that's answer. Not really, that's okay. not really the answer. That's not the answer. That's a part of the answer. It's not really the answer.
1: So can I have the real answer?
0: Um, <laughs> to pay the miners. <laughs> um, so there's a couple of reasons you would have fees, right? Um, one is because, yes. So you have two models in blockchain, right? One is the, the uh, deflationary or at least mostly deflationary economic model. So deflationary is Bitcoin, even though it's not yet fully deflationary um, because there's a subsidy that you just read off, right? Yep. Right now, 6.25 Bitcoin, you get a subsidy. It's like welfare for blockchains. Um, but it's how you do distribution. How do you distribute your crypto? in a fair manner Mm -hmm. right um and so this is it you got to put in for a proof of work coin you have to put in proof that you've done work for the network and in exchange the network will give you a little bit of welfare for a while um for bitcoin that little while is like a hundred something years um we'll have the the subsidy but it keeps dropping that's the halving every four years so next april will be a four-year anniversary and that 6.25 will drop down to three point one two five
1: ish, ish. something like that <laughs> um, on there.
0: and then four years after that it'll drop in half and then drop in half and so what you don't want to trust miners to just altruistically verify your blockchain right. and you don't want to trust validators if you're in a proof of stake system to just altruistically validate and confirm your blockchain because if they're doing it for free they can be bribed for a little right right so one reason you have fees in both of any kind of network is to pay the miner. And that's what I'm saying. You have like something like Bitcoin, which is deflationary ultimately, mm-hmm. um, in which case you'll only run off of fees. And then you have things like, especially in a proof of stake network, where they are technically inflationary. They may functionally at times, or maybe eternally, we don't have enough data on hand to say it yet, but... Theoretically, a proof-of-stake blockchain could be functionally deflationary while being technically inflationary. And if that doesn't scramble your brain a little, then you're pretty good.
1: Yeah, no, I'm scrambled.
0: So we know inflation, deflationary means the supply just keeps going down with Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. There's less and less Bitcoin available. At one point in time, there's going to be no new Bitcoin ever mined. What we have is what we have. And every time somebody loses some or locks some up or whatever, that makes the value of what's left go up even more. It's just supply and demand economics, right? Um, Theoretically, this is not a that is not what gives Bitcoin its value. If that was the case, everybody could make a deflationary right token and or coin, and you know it'd be a money pot. So it's not really the thing that makes Bitcoin have value, but it is a a strong contributing factor in the economics and game theory, right? Versus a proof of stake thing. So we'll use Ethereum because it's all I talk about is Bitcoin (laughs) and Ethereum, apparently. Yeah. Um, Ethereum, because it's doing proof of stake specifically now, I mean, it did it under proof of work, but they've always prepped towards proof of stake is it's an inflationary model right it's like how do you pay you don't have to do proof of work so if you're validating on a proof of stake system like ethereum you don't have to um you don't have to spend a lot of resources on a constant basis to validate a block once you have your stake in there um and you have the equipment to run your validating computers mm-hmm. um hopefully you're running your own computers, not basing it off of, like, AWS systems and all that, which I think a lot of people do do. But please stop doing that. Um, if you're if you're doing that, then there's not a lot of regular costs. And this is why miners and proof-of-work need to make money. They always have to pay electricity fees. And it's a race, so they always have to pay new hardware. Ethereum's not the same. Once you have your 32 ETH, you got your 32 ETH. Um, but what incentivizes you? So they have an inflationary system. They print more ETH. There is no one day there will be no new ETH printed, right? Okay. There will always be an inflation model of ETH. Um, and if you wanna, if you validate a block, if you do your part, they have a couple steps in that you have block builders, block producers, block proposers, block valid. You got all these different entities involved in the uh, process. But if you do your part. You and you stake the 32 ETH, you'll get a percentage right, of the new supply of ETH coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, around this block height, I think that's someplace around 4%. You're making like 4% APR um, on your ETH. So you acquire more ETH. You put up 32 ETH, you do your job, you stay online, you validate, you don't cheat. They'll pay you a little bit, um, just like you had a savings account or something, or it's cd or something right Mm -hmm. um and so you make that plus you get a percentage of like that's where the fees and all that go to but then i say it's functionally deflationary because when you pay fees on eth only a part of that goes to the block validators another part gets burnt right and so the more you use it the more eth gets used the more gets burnt because the more it gets used, the more demand there is on chain, which means um, the fees run higher and more ETH gets burnt. And if you can burn more ETH on a block than is printed,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're functionally deflationary, right? I only print ETH because yeah. it doesn't have a steady value. I only printed five new ETH this block, Right. but I burned six. Right. I'm deflationary. Yeah. Functionally, Technically, yeah. I'm inflationary, but functionally, it's yeah. deflationary, but i got to be able to keep that up every block.
1: Is that something new that they started with the sta- proof of stake?
0: Um, actually, the burning part started a little bit earlier. Um, I think it's 1559. It's 1550-something. 1550 I think I it's 1559. 15 15 Ethereum Improvement Proposals, a proposal done a couple of years ago before they moved over to proof of stake that started burning um, ETH. And then, um, yeah, when they went over to proof of stake, they had readjusted the model so a lot of those fees don't go directly to um, the block validators. Some of it about some of it gets burnt, some of it gets paid to the um, miner. But if you have a real, if you're doing like a, uh, something high priority on ETH, that's the part that you would adjust. There's going to be one part of your gas fees, right, that is going to get burnt. Now you could increase that if you want to. But why the hell would you want to? So just burn it. You um, can
1: choose to. You can choose to burn like.
0: You could always just burn something. You know? People sometimes quasi do that in Bitcoin all the time. Not all the time, but they'll do a little bit. Sometimes, most time on accident. You know, I have a couple private keys I should have wrote down and didn't. Yeah. So I've contributed some free Bitcoin to the network. I've burnt some Bitcoin because nobody can ever access it. But I mean it. the fees. You can but on ETH, you could on Bitcoin you could do it. You could bump the fee up and just send it to oblivion. You could send it to oblivion and ETH, you can do the same thing, you could do your fees however you want to, but that's not typically what people would do. They based off of block demand will be this one fee mm-hmm. and that's going to get burnt. And then based on block demand, the minimum of what you want to put in, which pays the validator, that's the part you want to adjust. Maybe you don't care about being high priority and you don't want to pay the high fees right now. As of this block, I ETH fees are pretty high.
1: Is that what's considered slippage? No. No?
0: Okay. <laughs> um, slippage is like more of a trading thing. Oh,
1: okay.
0: Um, so I, I don't care. I'm buying something from you, but I'm like, I see you all the damn time. I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Um, and I know it'll get to you. You know it'll get to you. And we got this sort of trust relationship. I'm going to set the fee way lower. The fee I got to pay the miner real lower. It's not going to get into a block maybe for some couple of days but eventually when fees drop to the amount I'm willing to pay, mm-hmm. it'll get to you and yeah. you're not pressed for it. Right, right. But if I like, I need, before we leave this room, yeah. you to make sure I'm going to, I might bump the fee up. I want to guarantee I'm in that next block.
1: Right. Okay.
0: You know? Um, so one of the reasons you have fees is to pay the miners. Okay. Um, and in either case, it's because you, it's game theory. You want to make sure that You want to give miners incentive to play by the rules. You want to make it more profitable, right? This is the game theory in almost all blockchains, right, is the idea is you can cheat if you want to, but it's going to cost you money to cheat. So your cheat has to be purely malicious with no discretion for how much money you waste. It's true with Bitcoin. It's Played out to be true on Ethereum, as far as I know, right? Nobody cheats those systems and makes money. You can cheat it, you can try. You might get away with a double spend someplace, but it's gonna cost you more than it's gonna make you. You're gonna pay way more to cheat the system. Um, And that's why you wanna pay them fees. You wanna make it more profitable for them. Just play by the rules and you'll make more money than you are from scamming me. But then there's another issue on both networks, more importantly for ETH, I think, Important for both kind of networks, an ETH type network, um, than a Bitcoin type network, uh, and that is spam. You know the concept of proof of work we've talked about a little bit before. Proof of work was not invented for Bitcoin or blockchains. Proof of work was invented for email. This is Adam Back. If you've heard of Adam Back's name, he's mentioned in the white paper. Um, he's still a major player in the Bitcoin ecosystem. They have Liquid their own uh, sort of side chain to Bitcoin. Mm. Um, but that was his major contribution that he didn't purposefully contribute, right? He was like, email's a problem. You've gotten spam in email before? Oh, yeah. Right. Well, thank Adam Back because he's one of the reasons it's not worse.
1: Well, thank you, Adam right? Back.
0: And that's because <laughs> he came up with this system of proof of work. Which is like, you know, what we can do? It's it's really cheap. The problem with spam is it's really cheap to spend to send out, right? And so it, it costs you functionally zero to send out a spam email to a million people, right? And all you need is one percent of those people to reply with a fraction of a dollar, and it's you're profitable. You know, yeah. if everybody comes back with like a penny, you're you've made money. Mm-hmm. So the spam pays out. So he's like, well, let's. What if every time you send an email, right? Just the function of sending an email, you make the computer do this arbitrary little puzzle, right? This little guessing game, which boosts up the compute energy, mm-hmm. pulls more energy out of your wall.
1: Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Now if you're a regular user, that amount of energy would be so fractionally small.
1: Yeah.
0: You'll never ever realize it. Yeah. Um, you won't pay more, your electric bill hasn't gone up. You notice nothing. Mm -hmm. But if you're a spammer and you're sending bulks of, because you can't spam one at a time. Right. Because you're wasting time at that point. Um, So you have to do bulks of thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of emails at a time. You'll notice that pump. Now the spam has a minimal price. Right. It costs you, because of the electricity, it costs you $10,000 per spam attack which means your spam has to be so effective it makes $10,000 in a penny yeah. to be profitable. Right. And then who wants to go through all that work for a penny? Right. Right. So now you gotta up your game, change the dynamics and all of that. And so that's not really how spam protection works now, but that was like the first major thing. And that's where the concept of proof of work came from. And that's what Satoshi used, that was that model. He was like, oh, that worked. How do we prevent, if I'm building Bitcoin in this network, um, how do I stop a, what's called a DDoS attack? A DDoS attack is just when it's a denial of service attack, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's also redundant, so it's just like a DOS attack, <laughs> <laughs> um, a denial of service attack. The D was redundant.
1: Oh, okay. Um,
0: the um, which is like, look, I just want to see your site go down. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you so many requests that your server can't handle it, and it just crashes. Yeah. It's like, just give me this page. Don't no, give me this page. Give me it again. Give it again. Give it again. I'm just, I just do it faster than the server can respond, and it'll just freeze and shut down, and now your website's down. Yeah. Right? Or your server is really down, which means all your functions are down. So how do you, you don't want that on a Bitcoin, you don't want that on a money network. Yeah, no. Somebody can't access their money because somebody's just spamming the network with requests. Right. You got to make it expensive. And so you give a fee, right? Part of that fee, the function of that fee, it doesn't go to any, it goes to the miner. In Bitcoin, all of it goes, just goes to the miner. But a function of that fee is I can't just arbitrarily make these demands of the blockchain. Right. Right right without it costing me something yeah and so it's it's expensive to do it and it's a fee market it's an open market so not only do i got to pay a fee right to attack the network i got to pay a fee more than the average so a block uh, a miner will accept that fee into the chain right ethereum is very similar in the concept all everything there is pretty much the same now that it's a proof of stake so You have the part that gets burnt, and you have the part that goes to the miner. But a bigger issue with um, Ethereum is it's what's called Turing Complete. This is the big difference in what the difference in Ethereum-type blockchains, smart contract blockchains, versus non-smart contract blockchains. This is the big difference. Smart contracts require um, Turing Completeness. And all that means is computer science stuff – All that means is if you've ever looked at a little bit of real code, HTML doesn't count, so if you look at, like, (laughs) that's not, like, it's code, but it's not programmatic code, right? Yeah. Turing complete means you can do a loop, which just means I can write code. When you're doing computer code, all you're really doing is if-then statements. Mm -hmm. If the user pushes this key, then do this. Mm -hmm. If the user pushes this key, then do this. Or else, do that. Right?
1: Yeah.
0: Every code, I don't care what you're coding, what you're doing, what app you're using, that's all it's doing. If this, then that. Period. That's code. Um, Bitcoin can basically do that. What Bitcoin can't do is a loop. Right? Bitcoin can't do... um, hey, is this this number 10? Is there 10 coins in the wallet? If yes, add a coin. I mean, if no, add a coin. Mm -hmm. If yes, stop or do something else, Mm -hmm. right? That's a loop. So you just run this with a little snippet of code, and it'll run itself until it meets the condition. Mm -hmm. When it runs true, it'll stop. Right. Yeah. All right. Once this user has 10 coins, stop doing this. All right. Um, and this is how that works in Ethereum is right, people love the idea of like the real estate on blockchain thing. Right. Like
1: mm-hmm.
0: if you have all your house deeds on the blockchain, you could put your deed into a smart contract because you're getting ready to sell your house. Yeah. And I, And I can go to you and I say, look, here's the deed. Here's the smart contract so you can see all the rules. I'm selling the house for a minimum of 30 ETH. Whoever puts 30 ETH in this smart contract by this date gets the deed, right? And I can make it an auction. Mm-hmm. Minimum is 30 ETH. Whoever puts the most ETH in this contract by this time gets the deed, and you can run an auction, a decentralized auction. Mm-hmm. The deed's in there. If you win the block, you don't have to trust that I'm going to honor your request because we're mortal enemies, right? And I, <laughs> aw, I didn't want Ashley to have my yeah. house. I don't get a say. At that day and time, the only way I can do it is by outbidding you, mm-hmm. right? Once that, smart, once that time hits, the smart contract will be like, that's the condition that's running, All right? If any of these wallets has 30 or more ETH, whichever one has more than 30 ETH or 30 at least ETH and is the highest balance, at this day and time, send them the deed, yeah. And I've already pre-signed it. So, boom, the house is yours. And instantly it'll take your amount of money, and your ETH, and send it to me. And then the other else is send everybody back their ETH that didn't win.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? So everybody gets their money back. I get the thing. We didn't need to trust any central entity to do any of that. Um, that's really, really cool if all of that worked. Mm-hmm. Right? What really sucks, though, is... Humans really are bad at writing code. <laughs> we're <laughs> we're great at writing code. I mean, we generally made it up, but we also suck. This is what a bug is. If you ever used a computer program that had a bug in it, yeah, you know it froze up, it crashed your computer, did whatever.
1: Oh, well, like Limewire? What? Yeah. <laughs>
0: so that's the problem with ETH, right? So you have this huge money layer. ETH is the foundation of all finance, right? And if we get to that level, it is what it is. And then one, it's also permissionless. So anybody could write code on there, right? Mm-hmm. And submit it. Now, you write a code. I'm, an, I'm some asshole. I write a code and I say, if there, if this wallet has, I want to say, if this wallet has less than 10 Bitcoin or less than 10 ETH, add an ETH. Then check. Does this wallet have more than 10. All right, if it doesn't have more than 10, add an ETH. Mm -hmm. That's what I want. And once it hits 10, it stops. Mm -hmm. But I'm an asshole. Instead of putting if it has less than 10, I put if it has more than 10.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? And then it always has more than 10. Let's say it always has more than 10. It's like I start with 11 ETH. Well, I had more than 10. So, yes, it has more than 10. Yes, it has more. And now that goes up infinite. So now I'm eating up the ETH. ETH is just a giant computer, right? That was one of their first things. We're a world computer, right? Okay. So I'm eating up all this processing power, because I got this loop that will never ever end. Mm-hmm. On your computer, this happens all the time, and then the program stops responding, right? Mm-hmm. And you get that wheel of death, yeah. like if you're on a Mac, or you get whatever the yeah. the death spiral yeah. is on your yeah. operating platform. And if it's a if it's a small bug, it crashes the application, and then you got to force quit the application and restart it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If it's a If it's a bad bug, it crashes your entire computer.
1: Yeah.
0: Now your computer locks up and you got to restart it. That's bad enough. Now imagine you did that on your computer, except it didn't just knock your computer offline. It knocked every computer on the globe offline.
1: (laughs) We're going to have some problems.
0: We have some problems. Yeah. So now imagine you do that to Ethereum. That's the base layer of all finance on the globe. Yeah. Some asshole just runs an infinite loop and crashes the entire world's monetary financial system and whatever else you're running on it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That sort of sucks. I would say so. Right? And then who gets to reboot it? If it's decentralized, who the reboots it? Tele-
1: <laughs> I don't know.
0: So that's the extra function gas play. So a part of that that burnable yeah. thing, I, I believe, I could be a little bit wrong in this part. I'm not an ETH engineer, right? But the part that gets burnt. Mm-hmm that nobody gets, yeah. that's that function. You're not just burning it to burn it. Mm. You're setting a gas limit, right? And your gas limit is like, look, how much gas are you allowing this, this code that you're about to run yeah. on a smart contract? How much how much ETH are you willing to pay yeah. for this code to run? Because every time it loops, it's going to spend some of this. It looks like, you know, they, they price it in gas, right? So it looks like your contract should take about 30,000 gas to run so we suggest you spend 30,000 gas once that's spent regardless of whether the condition finished or not this contract gets terminated right right and that's what the fee is for so even if you have a asshole like me who writes the code wrong yeah. and I go into an infinite loop, once that gas I'd have to be able to pay infinite amount of ETH right. to keep that contract running infinitely. Yeah. Once I run out of my gas, I'm like, ah, I'm not willing to spend more than twenty bucks yeah. for any one interaction. Once that twenty dollars is done, the contract's dead until you kick it again. But I'd have to again be able to supply it with infinite ETH for it to run infinitely and crash the network and it's a safety mechanism. Right. And that's the two functions fees pay. Hmm. There's one other function, I think, we can get into. If you had a question first, we can get into that, but there's one other small function.
1: Um, Well, I just kind of wanted to ask, it's kind of a silly question, but I feel like it's a question that most people would have. Um, Is gas and fees, are those words synonymous, or is like gas like the, like SAT of? I don't no, know. no.
0: Uh, gas is a measurement of how much you're willing to pay so um in eth the small unit is called a uh, gui
1: mm.
0: um so your gas is how much gui you're willing to spend
1: but why is it called gas and not just fees or is it just well, like
0: gas a is a fee but i don't know i don't i don't know, I don't, like I think, don't know what like the, the, the mechanic it? is but i think it was like how much are you willing how much how much power are you willing to give oh, this thing? Okay. Just like how much gas are you willing to put in a car?
1: Okay. You
0: know what I mean? Well, if you need to go 10,000 miles, you need to put 10,000 miles worth of gas in there.
1: Just kind of like a slang term that they, like, made up. Kind yeah.
0: Of. Yeah, it's just a way to imagine it, I guess. Okay. Um. So the last thing the fee plays a part in, and this is where the fee conversation goes bonkers to me, right? Where, like, people are off the chain, just sort of. Silly in there we want cheap fees, so a lot of a lot of L1 networks or layer two network any kind of network will be like, uh fees on Bitcoin are stupid high. We got cheap fees use us yeah fees on Ethereum are now stupid high. We got cheap fees use us
1: mm-hmm.
0: but especially in a model like Bitcoin, Bitcoin has a fixed fixed block space, right? So in the beginning of the show, we talk about the block height and you say how many transactions are in the block, right? Right. So theoretically speaking, Bitcoin can take up to four megabytes. There's a lot of cheating that goes into that four megabytes. Okay. Technically speaking, it can only hold one megabyte. But again, you can cheat the platform to get up to four. That was the compromise during the block war. Okay. Right. It's like, all right, you want two megs, we'll do SegWit, that'll get you like an extra meg in there. Now with Taproot, you can get a little bit more in there. This is why ordinals and stuff all of a sudden can take off because you can cheat, you can play a lot of games, it's not really cheating, but you can play a lot of games and cram four megs of data in a one meg space, right? Don't get too into the physics of it all. (laughs) You can do it, but it's fixed. You can't do more, Okay. right, um, without changing the base code. Um, so Bitcoin's a fixed supply. ETH has a, a expanding block set, right? So sort of based on demand, it'll expand how much you can fit into a block or contract it. Um, but it's still some limitations on the actual block you're on at the moment. Like once you're on this one block, it is what it is right? It's not going to be like, well, there's people want more, so I'm going to get bigger this block. It'll just make more room the next block. And then if the demands out there it'll shrink it again. Right. Hmm. Um, So when you talk about high fees, why do fees get so high?
1: Yeah.
0: Right. It's because you have a limited block space. Only so much can fit into this block. Only so much information, only so many transactions. Once it's full, it's, a, it's, a, it's an auction market. All of them are auction markets, right? You're not guaranteed. Um, so if you go to like TXStreet.com, mm-hmm. um, and we've showed that before, and we've talked about it before, it's just a block explorer, but it's visual. And all the transactions look like little South Park people. Mm-hmm. Right, and every time you send a transaction, you can go to TXC, put your transaction number in there, and you'll see your little person, uh, whether you're on Bitcoin or Ethereum or Bitcoin Cash. You could technically do it with Monero, but you don't see shit because yeah. it's probably... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
0: but um, you'll see your transaction and you'll see it get onto the bus. Right? Yeah. Just because you're on the bus, though, if the bus hasn't taken off, doesn't mean you're guaranteed. You'll see your guy get on the bus and then you might see your guy get off the bus <laughs> and go on the one below it. Yeah. And why does that happen? That's because that bus got full. That's the block. Yeah. That block got full and you only were willing to pay 30 cents. But I... I need to get on that bus, and it's full. Yeah. So I look and see who paid the least amount. Yeah. 30 cents? I'll pay 35 cents. I'll get on there. Yeah. But maybe I don't want to get outbid. I'll pay a yeah. dollar. Now I'm at the front of the bus, probably right. not getting kicked off of that, right? right? And so it's a demand. So that's how the fees get higher because whoever's whoever the 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 lowest amount somebody's willing to pay, right? Mm-hmm. To be that last seat on the bus is the base fee. Yeah. If 35 cents is the base fee, it's the base fee. But if that bus hasn't left yet, a minor or a validator, whoever hasn't figured out what they're going to do in that time, yeah. right? Um, I, I can come along and be like, hey, hey, that person's only paying 35 cents. I'll pay 40. Mm-hmm. Now the minor or the validator could be like, I don't care. I'm allocating this portion of my block, if I win it, to cheap fees. Mm. But it's not really economically incentivized of them. So most miners aren't that altruistic, right? I want to fill the block with the most fees possible. Right. So it's a demand for block space. So I sort of said this on another episode we were, we were talking about uh, on before, but when you come to me and say your blockchain has the cheapest fees,
1: mm-hmm.
0: well, fees are a representation of demand. Right? Right. Um, I don't care how you model your chain. A lot of chains, even in this last bull run, were like, we got cheap fees. Come use us. See, our fees are cheap. Ethereum's $1,000 a block. Come use us. Yeah. But when people do that because Ethereum was expensive as hell.
1: Yeah.
0: When they do that, Yeah. their fees all of a sudden go through the roof. Yeah. So when you tell me your fees are cheap, mm-hmm. you're telling me one of two things. Yeah. One, nobody was using your shit. Yeah. So why would I, of course your fees are cheap. Nobody's right. using it.
1: Yeah, there's no demand.
0: There's no demand, right. Uh, McDowell's is cheaper than McDonald's because nobody wants to eat McDowell's. <laughs> right? And if yeah. they did, they'd be as expensive or more expensive than McDonald's. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're telling me, A, with cheap fees, you're just telling me nobody wants to use your shit. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm already turned off.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? And then, or you're telling me you have a model like Binance, um, who it's a very centralized system. And they can afford to do cheap because they're playing different kind of games. And so the, the de- they don't have the decentralized theater to play. Yeah, it's more theater. So they can keep fees cheap because we talked about trilemma before, right? Yeah. Well, part of scalability is, you know, the fees and all that. But if I'm not very decentralized, if I'm centralized, then I have more control and if I have more control, it doesn't cost me as much for computation and stuff because I'm centralized. I don't need all yeah. these. I can keep the fees artificially small. Right. So there's always a trade off. You hear cheap fees.
1: Yeah, you should run.
0: You should probably at least dig deeper and understand why the fees are cheap. Yeah. And it's almost always, I haven't been shown an example yet. And please, hey, this is your opportunity. Like, prove me wrong. Show me.
1: You know
0: what I mean? Uh, I don't trust verify type. Show me why your blockchain is cheap-ass fees guaranteed, and it's not because there's nobody using it, and it's not because it's centralized as hell. And it's never that. You know what I mean? There's a demand for block space. You can have infinite block spaces. Some of the Bitcoin alternatives, like... um, a, Bitcoin Cash did it, but then Bitcoin Cash forked, and now you have Bitcoin Satoshi's vision, right? Mm-hmm. It's not Satoshi's vision. But they got these infinite-sized blocks. They're always empty. There's no demand. <laughs> of course the cheap fees are cheap. Yeah. Nobody's paying nothing. You could fit entire video libraries on there in a block. Nobody's using it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's cheap, but if people did start using it, you either have to make the blocks infinitely bigger, which makes it, infinitely harder for an independent user to run their own node, which means you've killed decentralization, Mm -hmm. or your fees are going to go up.
1: So is that going to be, like, a are fees going to be, like, a big problem in the future when there's mass adoption?
0: Well, no, this is where, so we we did an episode that either has already aired or might air soon, (laughs) (laughs) Um, based on... um, we talked about like the, the purpose of like L2s or side chains and all of that. Yeah. Um. This is the thing. So you take Bitcoin, for example. Like it is what it is. The fees probably aren't getting cheaper. I mean, the fees might get a little bit cheaper because if nobody's in a block, it's going to be cheap. But once you get like full blocks... It's not gonna be cheap to do, you can't buy coffee with it. That argument is absolutely true. Everybody was like, Bitcoin sucks because you'll never be able to use it for regular transactions. You're not even gonna be able to buy coffee. Probably not. But then we use an L2 like a lightning network. Yeah. Because there you're off off chain, but you still have the security and verification of the on-chain thing. And so lightning, as an example, lightning network is more like a, uh, it's like running a tab. If you go to, like, a a bar Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: you run a tab with the bar, now you're not paying. It's like, hey, give me this drink. I owe you this money. You don't have to do these transactions, but every now and then you need to settle up. Right. That's Lightning Network. Every now and then you got to settle up. And before I open the tab, the bar is like, look, before you can open the tab, I'm willing to run you um, $1,000 worth of credit. Mm -hmm. But I'm only doing that, there's a safe box over there. Now, you can put $1,000 in that safe box. Right? And then you lock it and I'll lock it. We won't touch it. And I'll put $1,000 in the safe box, line of credit. We both got $1,000 in there. And we'll just transact back and forth. You'll run me some money. Theoretically, I'll run you change if we need to. We got this channel. Yeah. And as long as we're all good, but the day either one of us says, screw it, I'm done doing business with you or I want to close this channel. Yeah. We can basically put the key in, grab our balance Mm -hmm. of the money out. And You get the remaining balance and bring it back to the Bitcoin network, right? So that's how, like, that layer two works. Um, and that allows you to do fast, cheap transactions. Now you can do coffee using Bitcoin without paying right. the fee. And the similar thing would be, like, on Ethereum using, um, like, a layer two. You would do a layer two, a proper layer two,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you would transact all day. But you're using Ethereum for the proof, right? It's like even if you're doing the real estate thing. Yeah. We could do that smart contract on a layer two on Ethereum.
1: Would it be kind of cheaper like fees? the Lightning Network network is kind of like a prepaid gift card kind of thing? But, but in one that you could get the cash back out of it?
0: Yeah, I think it's more like I would treat it I think more like a checking account versus oh. a prepaid. Okay. Type deal. Um, but I think tab is really the the best way to put it, like a line of it's not so much credit, but it's like well, I guess maybe a prepaid credit card.
1: A prepaid tab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Maybe the prepaid thing works like not a prepaid like gift card, but a prepaid like debit card, so you can treat it like a credit card, but they're guaranteed the money's in there, like a real yeah, credit card, right. not one of those would go to CVS and buy a Visa. Right,
1: like right, a right.
0: Credit card company was like, I'll give you 200 lines of credit, mm-hmm. but you got to put 200 bucks in. You're not spending that two hundred bucks. They're giving you the credit, but if you ever don't pay the bill, they They can pull it it up from that two hundred dollars that you put in there. And if you if you're now lightning doesn't work like this, but with those cards, right? If you can go a year and always pay that thing, yeah, maybe I'll give you a hundred of that two hundred dollars back, or maybe I'll give you the whole two hundred dollars and let you run real credit.
1: Yeah.
0: You know what I mean? So it's like that but without giving you the money back. Interesting. But then you're like, I don't trust you, Visa. So you put two (laughs) hundred bucks in too.
1: Yeah. And now
0: both of you got 200 bucks in there and you're just exchanging.
1: I didn't, yeah, that's the part that I didn't realize. I didn't realize that, um, because I knew about the um, channels with Mm -hmm. the Lightning Network, but I didn't realize that there was, um, I put up an amount and you also would put up an amount.
0: Yep. We got to have the matching amount and now we have a channel and now we just trade that money back and forth.
1: I didn't know that. That's Mm -hmm. cool.
0: And then the extra part of that is, this isn't really a lightning net network, but now we have a channel, but now I want to start a channel with my favorite lady, Alice, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, but I don't have a connection to her, but you do. Right. I don't need to set up a new channel. As long as, like, let's say we both put in 1000 and you and me have a channel together. Yeah. As long as I don't need to pay Alice more than $1,000, I can route a payment. I can send a payment to her through you. Yeah. You get know what I'm saying? Yep, yep, yep. But I don't have to know you're the channel. So that's how I can send you some lightning network. And we don't have a channel, but it just routes and finds a way to you. Oh, cool. So I got a good relationship with these three restaurants. You got a relationship with those restaurants. We got a relationship with each other. And Alice has a relationship with us. She has access to all the things we have access to
1: nice. without
0: directly having to set that up. And so that's what like an L2 would do to handle the high fees. But that's where, so if you talk about, I have a real layer two, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe a side chain or something. I have this real non-on-chain solution for payments and we have cheap fees. Then it's like, all right, I still would dig into a little bit to see how that works. But that makes sense. But if you're a layer one network, I don't yeah. care what you're doing, Monero, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, Avalanche, Polygon. Yeah. What's the one I always forget? I forgot Polkadot. It again. Polkadot. <laughs> if you're any of them, they're all layer one chains. If they're talking about we got cheap fees, come use us. Yeah. Yeah. I would be very cautious about that because <laughs> either nobody's using it, which means yeah. should you be there?
1: Yeah. If, yeah. Maybe. Yeah.
0: I'm not saying no, but it's not because everybody's using it. Yeah. Or it's not decentralized, or it's not secure. Trilemma. <laughs> it ain't all of them. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why fees.
1: Very good. Yeah, I think that was a really good explanation. All right. And I thank you. <laughs> well,
0: I you're welcome, you. And uh, if you think, especially what was the uh, one contentious thing I started to say, oh, your fees. Yeah, yeah. If it's cheap fees,
1: yeah
0: your chain is BS. Yeah. If you disagree with me, well,
1: yeah, let, let me know. know. Yeah, let us know. Let me have
0: it. And, you know, if you it's <laughs> not that I'm right. It's not that I'm wrong. It's just that you know, you might be a little bit more right than I am. (laughs) But I'd like to hear it. Uh, We're all learning. uh,
1: Someone get them, please. (laughs) Someone out there, one of you, please.
0: Let me have it. And how can they let me have it? Where can they find us to uh, go at me?
1: Um, At The Blockument on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, uh, and YouTube. And we also have TheBlockument.com. TheBlockument.com has links to all of those socials. Mm -hmm. as well as resources that our lovely Nate puts together for you all.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Um, Right. So check us out. Let us know. Leave some comments. And uh, until next week, oh, we will have a quick little post episode. So go to YouTube and check out the block notes from this episode if you want to hear a little bit more. Um, Sometimes we get a little bit more honest.
1: Yeah. And definitely sometimes off topic. So <laughs> and sometimes,
0: a lot of times, off topic. So check us out on the Block Notes. That'll be, that's a YouTube-only exclusive. So you have to go to YouTube to check that out. That airs right now on Pump Day Wednesdays. Right. After the show. So uh, go check out the Block Notes for a little bit of bonus.
1: Pump Day. Pump
0: Day. So until then, come for the riches.
1: Stay for the revolution.
0: Peace.